welcome to Concert Pipeline. I'm Steve Jones. Uh, today on the program, we have Naked Raygun. You may not have heard about them, uh, but um, they are a band that's been around for a long, long time, and they've had influence on a number of other bands, including one of my favorite musicians. Okay, I wasn't planning on doing this, but <laughs> here it is. Mr. Dave Grohl. Uh, yes. Um, one of my favorite musicians, uh, Dave Grohl. Ah! falling off the wall <laughs> this is the way to start the program right okay. well maybe it's not going back on okay don't touch it don't touch it uh it's going back it's back on the wall for now uh what about dave Grohl uh actually went to his first concert and it was naked ray gun many many years ago uh and uh, naked ray gun is responsible for a lot of feelings that dave Grohl had in terms of uh live performance what he wants to do uh, punk uh, rock music uh, and um, and the live show, right? So they, they they really inspired him, and he's made that clear um, in a number of different forums, including in his most recent book, The Storyteller. Uh, so um, uh, I there have been a band that I've been interested to talk to for a while, and um, I actually know their manager, so. Um, was able to set it up uh, when they uh, released their most recent album, uh, actually their first album in 31 years, uh, and uh, that is called Over the or Overlords. Um, it came out uh, recently and definitely recommend checking it out. Um, but I had a chance to talk to uh, Jeff and uh, Bill from um, Naked Ray Gun, uh, um, and we had a really great chat earlier today. So. Before we get into that, I'm going to share a story, okay, um, about what's going on in my world. Uh, so, uh, as if you follow the program, you know that I'm into duck hunting, and um, and smack dab in the middle of duck hunting season right now. Uh, so I was out this past Wednesday, uh, duck hunting, and I got a call. Uh, didn't answer it. I was hunting. Um, uh, and I figured it was um, my uh, kid's doctor just reminding that they had an appointment to get the vaccine that day. Uh, so um, a couple minutes later, I checked my visual voicemail on my phone and noticed that uh, it was the secretary from my uh, son's school calling. Uh, and she was mentioning that my dog was there, my dog, Basil, uh, who... Uh, I think is right behind me. No, he took off. He takes off when I am doing the program. So um, uh, she, he was there. And so I was freaking out a little bit. I'm like, well, you know, my house has a gate around it. The property I live on has another gate uh, around it. That, uh, that that gate doesn't open unless a car is driving on and it only stays open for 60 seconds. Uh, we've lived here for better part of eight years now. and. Um, and he's never even left my house area, let alone the property, but he took off uh, and he went to my son's school, which is an interesting touch. Uh, and so uh, I call back, I talk to this, uh, the secretary of my son's school and, uh, and I'm not nearby, right? And even I'm even farther because I'd have to gather my stuff and hike a mile back to my car, uh, drive out. It, it would take me forever to get back to, uh, to get my my dog and she's like well i can't sit here and watch him and i already called animal control they're on their way uh because i can't just sit here um but i think she had some familiarity with me so um 
you know, it was uh, it was interesting. And so I'm like freaking out a bit and uh, and trying to focus on shooting ducks. And I dropped my phone in the uh, in the marsh, which is three feet of marsh water ultimately. Uh, and so my phone's wet. I have to reach in and grab my phone uh, from the marsh. And then uh, I'm, I'm pulling it out and I'm getting a call back from her. And, uh, and, um, and in, the, in the meantime, I've, uh, I had called my neighbor twice. Uh, he didn't answer. Uh, he was apparently in LA uh, trying to see if he could pick up my dog. Um, okay, so I called my mom who's across town I'm like, I need you. I need you to get uh, get your car. Go get Basil, please. Please help me out here. You know, I you know I didn't want the animal control to take him. I didn't him end up at the pound and have to deal with any of that. I'm sure I could have paid to get him back, but I was you know I was really worried, right? And so my mom was getting in her car, uh, and I think she got in her car, and then I at first, and then I uh, hung up, and then that was when I dropped the phone in the marsh. And I got uh, a call back and I couldn't even answer it. I couldn't swipe to, uh, to answer it because it was wet for a little bit, but I was able to answer. Animal control had shown up. I'm like, okay, can you wait for 10 minutes? Just wait like 10 minutes, please. You know, uh, my mom's on the on her way. She'll be there in just a few minutes. Okay, they're good. They say, they say they'll wait with the dog. Uh, call my mom back and I keep her on the phone until she gets there uh, to get the dog. Um, and she shows up and gets the dog and takes him to my house and is like, you know, very clear that I owe her one. I owe her one, of course. And no, oh, her birthday's coming up in two weeks. And, uh, and uh, you know, just keep that in mind, right? By the way, I still haven't gotten her birthday yet. yet. Don't tell her. Uh, I should absolutely work on that. Uh, if you have any suggestions, tweet me at Concert Pipeline. Um, but, um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of where things are at. So the dog gets back, I get home and everything and he's fine. But over the next couple of days, you know, I'm realizing like this dog is anxious. He's he's worried. Uh, like I left on Sunday to go to my dad's house to watch the 49ers game. Um, they lost, by the way, to the Seahawks. Uh, you know, couldn't they made the they took the ball. 96 yards at the end of the game, uh, but couldn't get it the last three into the end zone. And, um, uh, but, and I, and as I was leaving, like he was shaking and his teeth are chattering and he was scraping to try and get out of uh, the yard. And I'm like, what is going on? And I, you know, chalk it up to him just being old. And it turns out um, that's not it. That's not all. Uh, that's going on there. I mean, I might be part of it, but, uh, and my dad gave me some anxiety medicine for dogs that he's used for, uh, for his dog. So I can try that out with him um, next time he has one of those incident incidents. But um, uh, first off, I figured out um, the first day how we got out of my yard, because I was pretty sure that I had closed the gate. I don't always, but I pr was pretty sure I had, uh, uh, but uh, my kid's mom and my daughter had dropped off my kid's bunny that I get the joy of having partial custody over. Um, you know, they dropped off the rabbit before dropping uh, my kids off at school uh, so, and left the gate open. So that's how I got out of there, but I don't know how I got off the main property uh, unless another truck had, you know, driven off and he took off after it or something along those lines. Again, he'd never done that. So this is all really peculiar behavior. What I realized last night was um, the why, 
the why he took off. Um, no, he didn't talk to me. He didn't really tell me uh, in not, not so many words, but I realized it when I was outside and realized that my neighbor's house, who, which is currently vacant, the smoke detector was going off, um, you know, the beep every 45 seconds or minute or so, um, you know, and I thought I heard it the other day. I thought I heard a smoke detector. And so I put my dog Basil outside and I went inside to try and listen for it and didn't hear it because he's really sensitive to the, the sounds. He hates it, right? So it doesn't last long. He freaks out. Um, and uh, and it was my neighbor's house that, that it was happening to. So I text the owner and you know, luckily he came out today and changed the batteries on the uh, smoke detector. Uh, so it doesn't continue to happen. And Basil's been cool ever since, but really worrisome, really worrisome for me in terms of, you know, will he be okay? Uh, and what's go and what's actually going on? You know, I didn't realize what was actually happening and then it's been happening for, um, you know, better part of a week now, five days, I guess, almost six days, day six, uh, that's, that's been happening. So nuts. Uh, but, uh, but Basil is okay, so that's the good news. Okay, uh, so this band um, is, uh, like I said, Naked Ray Gun. Um, you know, I try not to overly geek out in terms of uh, how influential they were uh, in terms of Dave Grohl. If you've ever tuned into an episode of this program, you'll, you'll know that at the end of the program, uh, we always end with a Dave Grohl music news story um with very few exceptions throughout the year because there's always something fucking awesome that he's doing and i got a great one for you uh this this week so stay tuned to the end of the program but um but it was great to talk to the band that was you know part of his history so without further ado uh, let's go ahead and let's uh bring in uh jeff and bill from naked reagan here they are thank you for taking the time jeff and bill i appreciate it there we go Okay. Um, okay. Make it right in the house. Uh, I want to thank you for taking the time first off, but also, um, I mean, it's a big, it's a big time for uh, Naked Ray Gun because it's not a short period of time since the, the last Naked Ray Gun album. It's been about 31 years. Um, so how does it feel for you guys to have uh, um, a new album out? Yeah, I know it's been a long time in the coming and a lot, long time that you guys have worked on it as well. Feels great to have it out, you know? We had all these songs for a long time and some of them for a long time, some for a short time, but it's great that we could play with Pierre one last time to have him on the record too. So that's really great. Yeah. How about you, Fribo? Uh, you know, it, it, it's really weird hearing 31 years because it just doesn't seem that long. I mean, this record, we worked on it over probably a period of five years um, in and out of the studio very sporadically. Um, and we had been doing singles before that, and they all kind of blend into like one, one long studio session. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's exciting to finally get it out. And, you know, we have our next album scheduled for 2053. Uh-huh, that sounds about right, right? Right on track. We're setting a regular cadence now, right? So... Yeah, well, that was the whole plan was to meet back at the studio in 31 years. So, you uh -huh. know, that, that worked out perfectly. So. 
I love the intentionality behind it. I'll say that because, you know, it really drives a purpose and it leaves them wanting more while also setting an expectation of, you know, this is, this is when you're going to get more, right? So. Right. Yeah. And yeah, we really took that leave them wanting more thing to, to heart. <laughs> yeah. I know why record companies put in there, you have to release a record every year, you know. It's, it's too much. It's just too much of a good thing is, is what's going on there. And, you know, uh, the, the older albums, you can appreciate them more when there's not, you know, 15 albums right behind it. That's, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's on its tail. So, um, yeah, so tell me, yeah. Um, let's start kind of from the beginning. I'm interested in, uh, for you both. What, what got you into music and, and punk rock music in, in particular? Go ahead, Bill. Um, well, I was, I was always a big music fan, you know, from when I was a little kid in the, you know, growing up in the seventies and driving around with my mom and, you know, some shitty Buick or something like that. Oh, I'm sorry. Can we swear? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, where was it? Oh yeah. Just like AM pop radio, uh, you know, watching American Bandstand, watching Soul Train, stuff like that. So um, music has always been very important to me and a big part of my life. And then when I got older into like middle school, I discovered all the um, like British invasion bands, uh, you know, Beatles, obviously, Stones, Kinks, Who, the Small Faces, um, bands like Creation, um, those, uh, those great mod bands. Um, and that that really really spoke to me in a time when you know you were listening to Sticks and Journey and and whatever else was coming out of the radio. Um, and when I first heard punk, which was you know the Ramones and the Clash, to me it sounded like just a continuation of all that you know '50s music and British Invasion stuff and girl groups and uh, so I was hooked and. You know, it was probably the worst career move I ever made in my life. Um, but I'm still here, so hey, you know. It, you know, it's good. And how about, and how about for yeah, you, I Jeff? Have, I mean, music has always been in my family. My, my mom played banjo in a like a hillbilly band. They, they, they dressed up like hillbillies and put like black jack on their teeth. And this really, times it was pretty cool. But uh, they actually almost made it on the Johnny Carson show once. But um, my dad played banjo and guitar and he used to, he used to sing Weaver songs around the house and stuff and uh, they had a decent record collection he had uh Barbara Streisand and and uh the Weavers of course and uh bands like uh, Bob Dylan and stuff and uh so I get to listen to that growing up and then uh music has been super important to me I couldn't imagine even dealing with people on a day-to-day -day basis that didn't have like a big music background or didn't, didn't appreciate music the way I do I can't. I can't imagine having a friend who doesn't like music. You know, I wouldn't, wouldn't be a, a bunch of common with them. It's shallow. That makes sound. Um, I really feel that way. But um, uh, I got into music. I was always in choruses in, in high school and in, in grade school, and I just developed from there. And I, I was in a band. I played the baritone horn and marched around the field and stuff. And uh, I always had music in my life, so it's always been very important to me. Yeah, yeah and so. I, I figured around like sixth grade, I realized that like if you wanted to talk to girls, being in a band and playing an instrument was like a fast track to get there. Yeah, um, it's all a lie. But I didn't realize that. I don't know that at all. 
that didn't dawn on me at all. I, I didn't realize that much later on. It took you a little longer, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so Jeff, with your parents being musicians themselves, were they touring musicians at all? Were you, did you follow them on the, on the road? I mean, it sounds like your mom getting pretty close to Johnny Carson probably was. Yeah, they, they almost toured. They, they broke up, but um, they got, almost got there, yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess I should mention that um, my mom was a drummer. Cool. Uh, okay. Traditional yeah. uh, Korean folk drumming. Yeah. Which is like, they got crazy drums like hanging off of chains and beating them with like big sticks and like that. And then she'd do cool. these fan dances. And my family actually did kind of tour. Um, oh, okay. When I was like maybe four or five, uh, my dad played the music on a on a reel to reel tape, and my mom would get out on the stage and do her thing, and then you know whack on her drums. And I was the opening act. I'd go out and sing um, uh, some Korean folk song. I, I and I don't speak Korean, so I had no <laughs> idea what, what I was singing. Sweet, I never knew that about you. Singing phonetically. Um, and then I would go into the crowd. It was usually old ladies, you know, like old lady society kind of things, you know, rotary clubs or, you know, that kind of crap. Uh, yeah. Then I go into the uh, audience and, you know, beg for court. Nice. And, and so where was where was that, Bill? Where did you uh, tour? Where did you grow up? Uh, I, I grew up uh, around Chicago. Um, we did, I mean, I wouldn't even call them shows. But sure, and, sure. I mean, you know, and this happened probably as many times as I could count on both hands. Um, so yeah, more like Midwest. I remember we went to Toronto once and we went to upstate New York once and stayed in some big, you know, big mansion that was owned by some rich person or something like that. We, we were in no way like traveling back bonds or anything like that. It's not that romantic. Sure. So. sure. Yeah, but you got out of it. So, and you and you learned, you know, a little bit of the ropes from your uh, your parents. It sounds like so. stage presence, stage presence at least. Sure, and I was introduced to Gaffer's tape at a very young age. So, you know, <laughs> very versed versed with it. So, um, so so well, Jeff, uh, Mike present stage and stuff like that. At Trivana. Yeah. Um, and so, so Jeff, was was Naked Raygun your first band when you uh, formed it in 1980, or had you did you have other bands beforehand? No, I've been in a band since I was like 15. I was in a bunch of bands that never got out of the basement. I was in one band that never never played any, any songs except for Rolling Stones songs. I was another band that never played any songs except for James Gang songs, which is really rough. But uh, uh, I was always in bands. Never, I think we got out of the basement one time, and then. Uh, then right before they get Ray Gun, I got a, we played this couple of suburb big clubs twice, and then we broke up. But uh, then I joined Naked Ray Gun. Yeah. So, hey, hey, Jeff, you're kind of cutting out a little bit. Yeah. Can you get? Oh. Like, are you in your mic? Yeah. The microphone or? No, I'm not. I'm on this computer. Oh, is your mic nearby? You're also kind of um, freezy a little bit. Yeah. A little bit choppy. Yeah. Our internet sucks out here lately. I can switch mics. Let me see. Okay. Jeff lives way, way, way out in the country. Oh yeah, yeah, pretty far. That's pretty. Um, I'm yeah. sure that's pretty nice. Well, he, two he's hours closer away. to Iowa than Chicago. Put it that way. So. Yeah, really. Yeah. 
Um, well, but I, where, 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 I, I'm sorry. What was what was the question? Uh, I don't remember exactly where we were, but I, I can ask I, I can ask you on go while while Jeff's ch uh, checking his mic. That's cool. So yeah, um, sure, sure. Yeah, so in, in the 70s for you, I mean, you were really uh, uh, into soul music. What, uh, was it that was that a family influence that kind of got you there or was it something you found on your own? Oh, God, no, no, that was all, all Don Cornelius is doing. Okay. Um, that was like, like Soul Train, AM Radio. I mean, I, I, I still listen to this day. Um, Duran Jones and the Indications, do you ever hear them? No. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Just like a phenomenal. So, I mean, it's, it's retro, but um, it, it's a really fresh take on 70s soul. Um, went to my first live show in like two years, saw them, uh, had a great time. Um, yeah. Silk Sonic, I'm really excited about that Silk Sonic record. Yeah. We're... You know, the Bruno Mars and uh, oh, yeah. Anderson uh, Pock or Pack or whatever. I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, was that kind of what inspired you to become a, um, a musician, like the, that sort of music, wanting to play live? Uh, not soul music. I probably, you know, would blame Led Zeppelin more than, you know, Jimmy Page. You sure. know, I, I made my, my grandparents take me to see um, Song Remains the Same. I think I was like in fifth grade Okay. Uh, when it was in the movies theater and just seeing like, a 20 foot tall Jimmy Page, just like, you know, rock guy. I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. I'm going to be, I'm going to be that guy. Yeah. And it turns out I was. You so. turned into it, right? So, yeah. You should see my dragon, my, my dragon bell bottom silk pants. And Oh, I'm sure they, they got all the ladies, right? So. Well, I think Robert Plant and the uh, zucchini stuff down his pants probably, probably got that most of the, uh, you know, they were all like 13 back then, right? Right, right, yeah. It was a different time. It was a different time. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so you joined Naked Raygun in uh, in '89. Um, tell me about how uh, how you got, uh, got kind of into the band. Um, I uh, right after high school, I joined this band called Product 19, and we were like a really thrashing hardcore band. Um, you know, like every song started out with you know drum clicks. <laughs> so it was like that. Um, we played, we opened for Naked Reagan, I think, a couple times, and um, kind of got to know Jeff. Jeff was quite the scenester back then. It was like, yeah. Uh, put it this way. My band Product 19 and Material Issue, we both played our first shows together. And I think oh, wow. we played our third shows together at this bar in the city, um, which we didn't know was 21 and over at the time. And of course, all our friends are 17 and 18. Uh -huh. So everyone comes down to the show, says, no, you can't come in. And the only people in the audience were Jeff and his wife. And they really? stayed and watched both bands, Material Issue and my and my band. So you played a show for Jeff, unknowing that you it would just be Jeff, and then uh, and that kind of you know spawned things off in the direction you know when there was a a need, he brought you into the band. Yeah, and then I, I moved to uh, I I went to school in D.C. at George Washington, so I spent most of the mid to late '80s um, away from Chicago, 
Uh, and then when John Haggerty quit in 89, I think it was, uh, I had just finished up school and I got a call from Karen, who was Jeff's wife and the manager, which is a really bad situation. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and he'll cop to that too. He's, I don't know where he went. Um, and they said, uh, yeah, we need it. We have a, we have a short East coast tour coming up in a couple weeks. Can you, can you do it? I said, yeah, I'll drive, I'll drive home. And, uh, you know, we practiced for a couple weeks and I was back in DC, like two weeks later, uh, cleaning out my apartment after the, uh, after the show. Yeah. And How was that? Up to, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. And then uh, just continuing the tour with the rest of my, uh, with the, all, all my crap from my apartment in, in the van. Yeah. How, how was that first tour for you? Um, what, what do you remember of it? Uh, the first show was awful. It was nerve wracking. Like my yeah. knees, you know, I got like shaky knees when we started playing. Um, and then about halfway through, you know, it's just like, hey, you know, this is great. I love it. You know, I'm, I can play the songs. The band sounds great. Crowd loves it. Um, yeah, it was it was just a, a total blast, you know. Yeah, I uh, I heard somewhere, and I don't know if this was before you joined or after or what what have you, but that uh, that you guys would play at all, like uh, certain shows at all four corners of the venue. Like, uh, is that uh, am I pulling that from somewhere weird? Uh, yeah. Okay. Maybe Jeff will have more context to what I'm what I'm referencing, but that like that you guys wouldn't be all in the same spot necessarily on stage, but that sometimes you know you'd be at all four corners of the uh, of the venue. Oh, I don't know anything about that. That sounds way too difficult for us. It does sound pretty difficult. I don't we're, know. How... We're just not that bright <laughs> to, to pull that off logistically. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it was a. Yeah, I don't know what spawned it, so it's something I'd want to ask more about if uh, if Jeff was here. But um, but I'm sure his internet's probably it seemed pretty glitchy, so um, we'll see if he's rebooting it. But um, he'll, uh, he'll, he'll get it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool. Um, okay, so uh, so let's talk about Pierre just for uh, a moment and his uh, you know kind of you know how that kind of came to it to a sad ending here. Um, toward the end, but he he had an impact on this album, uh, "Farewell to Arms." He, uh, he was able to play uh, play for it, and he was, from what I what I've heard, is like pretty persistent. You know, didn't get slowed down. You know, by um, everything that was going on, uh, how he was affected. But tell me, tell me what that experience was like, and um, in your memories of, of Pierre. Um, well, Pierre had a stroke in I think 2012. Um, and he was never really able to recover enough from that to play bass fully again. Uh, so we had a couple replacement guys and we, we actually waited, I, it was almost two years for, you know, Pierre to rehabilitate and it, it just like never happened. Um, so we, we started doing shows again with sort of just fill-in guys. And then um, we got Fritz, Fritz Dereza, who I had been in a band with uh, through the last half of the 90s, uh, to come in and be the bass player. And 
Pierre had gotten enough dexterity back where he could play a baritone guitar. Uh, so I took a, a, a 335 copy and just turned it into a four string baritone guitar. And so he could play that on stage with us. And it was, it was pretty cool. And he was actually pretty good on it. He'd get like really like nasty sounding feedback. Um, he was more uh, doing accents and just making noise as opposed to actually playing, you know, right along with the, the song so much. Yeah. Um, and I've never heard a, a tape of the show, but that time we played Wrigley Field, um, our sound guy, Bob Weston, who you may know of from Shellac and other stuff, uh, it, not to drop names, but like, this is a guy who knows what he's talking about. Yeah. And he's like, man, that baritone guitar was badass, you know? Um, which is, I, I, I was really happy about that, that, you know, um, not only Pierre could, you know, be on stage with us to experience uh, that, um, but also like really contribute. Uh, and then he got cancer. So that kind of put the kibosh on the, uh, playing live stuff. And that took a number of years uh, to sort of play itself out. But the whole time um, he was dealing with uh, cancer and the treatments and, and all that, uh, he was right there in the studio with us um, making this last record. And, you know, I, I've said it before in other interviews, he put more time in the studio, uh, you know, just hours wise than anyone else in this band did. Um, by far. He was at every session. Um, and, you know, I wasn't at every session, I can tell you yeah. that. Yeah. Um, what did you make of that commitment? Like, I mean, just that he was so co committed despite having cancer and being, you know, this thing that's eating him literally, right, from the inside. Like, I mean, what, what did you make of that? Well, I mean, you know, if you had cancer, you'd want to go out and do something fun too, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, he, he wrote songs for the album. He was able to play on one song. Um, so he, he's, yeah, he's on the record. Um, and he really took to, um, really caring about certain nuances yeah. of the record maybe more so than anyone else would because you know he was just spending so much time with it uh he, him and steve gillis the guy who recorded it and produced us yeah. um you know it was just them two in the console room just you know throwing out ideas and stuff like that um so he he was a very integral part of the uh the whole process of the album and he heard it finished sequenced mastered um he didn't make it to see it come out but uh he knew it was done and he told me you know i trust you guys you'll do the right thing and so i think he uh um made his peace with the you know the album being done and out of our hands so yeah, he pretty yeah. much approved it approved everything we ran by him including the cover and name button and everything he really liked it so we had to be part of it, you know, it was really great. Yeah.
Yeah. What, what was your experience working with uh, Pierre, Jeff? Like, what um, what were your what was a fond memory you had of, uh, of Pierre? Um, probably the pocket sandwich. He invented the pocket sandwich, you know. Yeah. Pierre, Pierre just produced a, pocket, a sandwich out of his pocket at any, any moment in time, started eating it. But uh, no, seriously, um, Pierre was such a genius. I never, his last couple of times he interpreted the bill, I didn't understand what the hell he was talking about at all. He, he somehow Bill communicated with him really well. I didn't understand what was going on until Bill showed me what he, he meant, but uh, he came up with a couple of brilliant songs there at the end, and uh, I'm glad Bill could finagle him into what he was, what he was talking about. Some of the good, good songs. I, yeah. I think one of Pierre's great talents as a as a songwriter um, was just naturally thinking outside of the box, just doing screwy stuff that like you think like, oh, this is going to be awful, you know, or like I wouldn't have done that. It's like what what are you talking about, you know? And then you play the song a few more times and you're like, oh, I get it. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fucking brilliant, you know? Yeah. Uh, so so Pierre could take some some really off the wall and weird ideas and turn them into a really great pop song. For sure. For sure. Now, uh, now Bill, you were um, you mentioned Wrigley Field, so that kind of is a, a good segue. Like well, first off, um, for both of you, what was that experience like being able to play such a massive place, like opening for the, the Foo Fighters at Wrigley? Um, there were a lot of people. <laughs> uh, oh, we lost Jeff again. Um, oh, no. I mean, you know, it was cool. I mean, you know, it was a place I'd been going to since I was a little kid. You know, my dad bringing us to the to the Cubs games. Um, I hadn't been there since the last day of my senior year of high school when we ditched school and went to a Cubs game. Uh, and then to be back, you know, 30 whatever years later and, and I'm playing in the uh, on this giant stage in, in, in the outfield. Uh, it was pretty surreal, you know. Yeah. Um, and just hanging out backstage with Cheap Trick, and that was cool. That's pretty neat. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, it was just a, a great experience, and I think probably one of the uh, funnest, most surreal moments for me, anyways, was just doing sound check and hearing my guitar blasting in an empty Wrigley Field. Yeah. You know? was just like I was like oh how fucking cool is this man and and like I sound fucking massive and you can hear me all the way at the Gingerman Tavern you know three blocks away I bet yeah yeah uh, how about for you Jeff experience uh playing Wrigley Field uh it was really big I, I wear glasses so everything was a bit foggy after like 20 feet so uh -huh. it's all pretty much the same to me um I just want to make sure I didn't fall down or anything and it's a big stage, you know, it's a big, big, huge stage, you know, not just an enormous thing. And uh, it's pretty cool to be out there. Big crowd, too. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, okay. and, I mean, the whole day was a blast. And uh, Dave Grohl is such a nice guy that he rented out the party, the second floor part party room of the Cubby Bear Lounge, which is the bar across the street 
uh-huh. uh, just so Naked Raygun and and all the family, Naked Raygun family, could have like sort of an after party up there. And you know, he came up and said hi. It was, you know, it was great. You were just saying about Wrigley Field. It's really old, you know. It's a really old ballpark, and it's still exactly like it was in the old days. They had these ways of getting the pitcher to the mound. It is so weird. Like from the bullpen to the mound in a secret way, it's it's really fucked up, funky. It's like we all this one quarter that went all over the place. Remember Bill went all over the place, and then finally got down in the field somewhere, like from the bullpen. It was like closer than the bullpen was. And there's nothing yeah. to do. It was really weird. Nothing to do. It's really weird. They, they went. I think it's from the from the uh, dugout to the uh, locker room. They put the they put the team in this like. In, Kate, in this enclosure, this weird like curtain thing, they kind of wheel wheel them around. It's very strange. And so when Dave Grohl had to get from the stage to the stage to backstage, they, they were in that same thing. It was very weird. They went by me, you know. It was very weird. The secret entrance, huh? <laughs> I saw Prince playing around once. Prince, Prince, Prince playing around. He uh, he had this thing that was a big flight case that just fit underneath the, the barely fit underneath the. the the, uh, the stage, you know, made to fit perfectly there, and you could tell he was in there. And then, like, breather holes and stuff, and it was really weird. Uh-huh. Yeah. What were you going to say, Bill? Oh, I was gonna, yeah, Wrigley is so old. It's sort of like backstage at Wrigley is, uh-huh. like, being kind of like in a, uh, albeit very clean, like, old abandoned factory, you know? Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. And... So we're talking about Dave Grohl, right? I mean, he uh, he wrote in his new uh, memoir, you know, the storyteller, um, referencing you guys and the impact that you uh, had on on him. Obviously, you were you were his first concert, and um, and that left quite an impression <laughs> for him. So, to I mean, he's not the only one. Obviously, there are other um, major bands that you've influenced. I know Matt Skiba's, uh, you know, ta- uh, said great things about you guys, like knowing that you've had that uh that impact like what is that what is you know what does that feel like for you guys to um to uh to kind of have that experience and and um impact on uh on people like Dave Grohl well I think Ian Curtis said it best when people listen to you those you know those you know means a lot and uh it's very it's just very humbling and touching and uh we really appreciate it and we think that uh, anybody who gets gets the idea of punk rock music of seeing us is cool by us. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just nice being sort of part of the the chain, the continuation. You know, I mean, we had a, we all had our our the people that influenced us. Um, you know, and on occasion we've been able to meet them, and you know, fawn and fawn over them and tell them how awesome and great they are. And, you know, they very humbly say, oh, gee, thanks. And then people do that to us and we say, oh, gee, thanks. Yeah. Uh, And those people that, you know, were influenced by us, they'll influence other people. And, you know, they can say, oh, gee, thanks to, you know, some kid 10 years on, you know, down the line and uh, you just keep it going. and, And it's nice to be uh part of that part of the chain is good time yeah good, yeah. good, good, good call Bill. good thinking yeah uh, so, yeah so there was there was like a 15 16 year period where 
Naked Dragon was, you know, took it, we'll call it a, a long break. Uh, kind of like oh, no, no, no. We were writing songs for this record. You were so working, you were working on this record the whole time. No, we worked on it for 31 years, man. Yeah. It, was, you know, it was, it was never, there was no downtime. There was no break. In the studio, uh, every day, you know, working on the record, right? <laughs> well, we did put out three singles with B-sides that are really good, and we did put out a live record from 1997, a show at Metro, and we got back together in 97, mm -hmm. we called Free Shit. And then we did put out Last of the Mohicans. I did it in a small label out, out, out east. It was, it was five live songs, five, five studio songs, and five uh, practice songs. Pretty good record. Got, got around pretty good. But, yeah, uh, so, so even during the layoff, um, you know, there would be a show every once in a while or every now and then some weird, you know, live or compilation record would come out. Um, and Pierre and myself and Jeff had all been in bands through pretty much all of the 90s. So it's not like we were inactive. Um, uh, we had stuff going on. So it, it, uh, it was weird. It was very hard getting back together in 2007 uh, after not playing for probably 10 years. And I don't think Eric had touched a drumstick in those 10 years. Um, it kick off. Yeah. Uh, so that was a bit of work, but it, 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 it wasn't, um, it wasn't as weird as you would think. Yeah. And Eric was the one who reformed you guys uh, for, he, he was persistent about it for uh, Riot Fest, right? Like, I, I mean, did it, did well, it take some, yeah. It, ba yeah. Eric basically committed to the show. Yeah. Before he talked to any of us. And then, so he sort of had to work backwards and get the band on board for the show that he had booked, um, <laughs> our big reunion Maybe. show. We did that with Jake Burns too. He told Jake Burns we want to play with him. We didn't have a show with him guys too. Yeah, yeah. Eric, Eric, Eric's excitable and can sometimes get ahead of himself. Uh huh. Uh, did, yeah. Uh, oh, I was gonna say, did it make it easier to say yes that he had already that he had already said yes to the show, and uh, or was there a piece of you that was like, eh, I don't know if uh, you know now's the time for that. Um. Well, I think when we heard what we were going to be paid, we all we all got a little more open-minded. Yeah. Um, Good times. Uh, yeah, and it, 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 it with Eric already committing us to the show, it changed from "No, we'll never get back together again over my dead body" to. Well, I don't know, maybe. And then to, yeah, sure, what the hell? Well, you know, let's do it. Why not? Yeah. Started with one show. And then after that, it just felt more natu natural. So you kept it going from there, right? Right. Um, yeah, well, we actually got really good by the time we, we did a, a practice show a couple, a few weeks before the actual Riot Fest show. And the night before Riot Fest, we did a secret show at this club in Chicago. Um, and those two shows were great. And then we got to our big moment, you know, in front of, in front of 4,000 screaming fans. Um, and Jeff's voice goes out because he's sick and he's stranded from, from the show the night before. 
Um, and Riot Fest was new. I don't, I'm, they let's say hired some people who maybe were not the most experienced. Um, so there were like monitor problems throughout the show. We're cutting songs during the set because just like, I can't sing that man. There's no way I can sing that. Um, and it was just, it was not the um, triumphant moment. I think we were all hoping for it. So we're like, okay. Okay. Hey, let's not go out like that. Let's just keep on doing shows. You know, what the hell? Not the triumphant return we all hope for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jeff, you, um, you said something uh, in, in an interview I read before the election. Um, you, uh, in, you, you're starting to get a little political with this album. Just, I mean, the first kind of traces of uh, politics for, uh, in your music, from what I understand, right? Uh, you said, uh, Donald Trump, I can't see him being president, although weirder things have happened. Uh, now, uh, have weirder things happened at this point, or is that the, pretty much the weirdest thing <laughs> you've seen? It's freaking weird that that's being president. I think it's very strange. A guy from private sector, no, no political experience, just pays his way into the presidency, you know? It's crazy. People must, people must, I didn't read, I couldn't read people around here at all. I didn't think that people were that pissed off at regular politics to, to get someone brand new, unexperienced in the White House. But uh, I guess I, 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 picked, I also picked punk rock to be famous and, you know, it was a bad move too. Which, I mean, I, you know, I kind of get the, I could see how, someone would find someone like Trump appealing. But I mean, a know nothing game show host, really? I mean, that's like the best you could pull out of your ass to, you know, to shake up the system. He's you know? still not Ronald Reagan was, was governor for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger is California, was California's governor. I mean, people like familiarity i think is a good way to put it and they were familiar with trump and so they're like okay sure we'll go with that right it's i mean to what you're saying jeff he wasn't a politician uh, let's you know we're tired of politicians okay well you know did they get well, what they hell, wanted? I mean, fucking schwarzenegger I, was like winston churchill compared to trump I, I mean, yeah Jesus. i know i know I'm just saying. I just, I just saying. I didn't read it correctly. I didn't read, didn't read the public correctly. I'm out in public every day, and I, I couldn't tell that was happening. You know, really weird. Yeah, yeah. It was. I think it was a shock to a lot of people uh, <laughs> that it actually happened. But um, well, I think it was a shock to everyone how how when they found out exactly how racist this country is. You know, still that yes, and after having a, an African American president too, like you'd think that we would have progressed at some point you know you you would think but, but i think it, it that just exacerbated the whole situation you know that's like people are like oh holy shit a black guy can be the president you know that ain't right yeah um so you know that that got us to where we are now i guess this is the record barack obama kicked out more mexicans than trump ever did i'm not getting into that <laughs> yeah we, we don't need to touch that that's fine <laughs> Um, Come on, ask me about what kind of picks I like to use. I'm like, you know, ooh, ooh, Bill, what, what type of picks do you like to use? Do tell. Uh, wow. I don't know. Jim Dunlop, 88 uh, millimeter nylons. Oh, that is, you heard it here first on Concert Pi Pi. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, and you can really hear the it's difference. A, it's, it's an exclusive. <laughs> it is used to for me. I use a one beer pick. Yeah. Um, 
Jeff, you put out a couple of solo, e or you put out a, a solo EP and a second on the way, right? Like, tell me about that process for you that's uh, um, different than Naked Rega. He's so happy you asked him that question. <laughs> he can't stop smiling. He's speechless. <laughs> oh, Bill. Okay, Bill, tell me about Jeff's solo album that uh, he put out and uh, what, what was the process like? Uh, well, Jeff did it and then he told us about it. And then, okay, Jeff is back. Robot Jeff, that is. Um, I, you know, I, I, I knew he, oh. oh, here he is. I think we got you. Jeff, turn your audio on. Yeah, you're muted. Audio. <laughs> turn on your mic. It's like, where's the button? It's there. There you go. How's that? We got there you. There you go. What was the question? Question was about yeah your solo album um, and the process putting that together that, that was different for you than Naked Dragon. Yeah, solo record. Some songs I had written a long time ago, mostly, and I re-recorded some of them and uh, put it together as a five-song EP. Uh, put it under my own name and released it very inconspicuously on uh, Bandcamp and a zone a website set up through uh, TuneCore and uh, Bandwagon. Is it? Somebody, somebody, something like that. And uh, it sold uh, pretty decently. It sold about 800 copies maybe. But uh, I wish it, wish it got out there a little more. I didn't, I didn't know how to do advertisement for it. I didn't know how to connect with social media very well. I kind of just sent it to my friends on Facebook. And uh, I think it's really good music though. It turned out pretty good. There, there's oh, really you know, what the hell? Why aren't those Naked Ray Gun songs, Jeff? Why, do you, why, do you, why did you save them for yourself? Well, not really share, share with everyone else. I don't think they're song. One of them is instrumental, and the other two are really wimpy. I don't think they make any songs at all, Bill. Well, yeah, instrumental. You wouldn't even have to do anything on it. Yeah. You'll have a sandwich, you know? That's true. You take a break, yeah. Good idea. You don't you don't like long songs, though, right, Jeff? So, or solos or anything. So, you know, that doesn't have a place in Make It Again. No, we never like solos. We could have to talk about if a nice riff or something in there. What do you think, Bill? Uh, about solos and Naked Rego? Yeah. Uh, we don't really have solos. We just have parts, you know? I mean, um, you know, it's not like we're doing 10-minute improvisational explorations of, you know, discordant scales or anything like that or you know it's just we, we you know we play pop songs you know and try and make them short and, and fast and there's a little musical interlude you know it's gonna it's gonna play off the melody or or some some other aspect of the song um there's trying to make to make those parts the same every time we play them too yeah i yeah. mean it's it, i i play the solos differently all the time but it's always just it's always the same part you know yeah yeah um and and jeff uh something that was really interesting to me um you have a rec your your wife has a raccoon rehab um is that still existent at 27 raccoons in your house is that a 
Usually yeah, but that had nothing to do with the raccoon rehab. No, they're just they're just staying. They're, they're just. No, well, I mean, he doesn't have a roof, you know. They just <laughs> they just they just filter on in, you know. No, we only have three, we have three possums now. Is all we have now during the winter. It's, we tried to try to cut it down in the winter because uh, springtime is such a hectic time and all the babies fall out of trees and stuff. But now we're just down to three possums, three baby possums, and uh, we're expecting a big big deluge in the spring though because. Uh, Two major rehabbers around here stopped doing it. So Chris is going to be swamped. I don't know how she's going to handle it all. You get up to about 50 raccoons in the house at the same time. It gets pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, yes. I, I have two kids in my house at uh, times, and it gets pretty crazy here with that. So I can't imagine, you know, 2750 raccoons in, in a house for sure. So, um, well, she has, she has, she has a really nice cage. But what's nice and super cute is in the past when they've gotten a new batch of like little baby raccoons uh -huh. um they can't be left alone so if we're practicing or in the studio they come along for the trip and then we get to play with baby raccoons before and after we're done doing whatever we're doing that's true wow wow well that's i mean that's that's a pretty incredible well that's i mean that's a good so all you it. other bands with your groupies and cocaine and ketamine and fentanyl and all that, we have baby raccoons. So suck it. Yeah, exactly. What more do you want? What, what more do you want than to be playing music to, to baby bear raccoons, right? So <laughs> and a little it's all about better. tiny woodland creatures. A little bit. Yeah. Maybe a little bit to be fed every two and a half hours, so uh, Kristen doesn't get much sleep. Yeah. I, I, I imagine not. Yeah, that's a. It's like having a newborn or in the house year round, right? So yeah, it is. Endlessly. Newborn um, who at age two months will rip up your house to shreds. Yeah, I don't want that. Uh, um, any live shows planned for you guys? Um, what is what does that look like? I know it's probably pretty hard to get to together to to make that happen. We would like to get the singles out there in another, another format because they were so poorly released before. Get them all together in one lump, lump and maybe put some other songs with it. I think that's about all we got planned so far. Um, and I think live we're still at a, a TBD. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The COVID thing going on, it's tough to play live and uh, run to it right, running a lot of people there. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's not the easiest thing to uh, get us all together in one room to do anything, um, much less twice a week for you know four or five hours to play songs that are fifty years old. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. I want I want to thank you both for taking the, the time. Um, I, I, like I said, I, I was pretty excited to uh, to do this interview. Um, I'm a pretty big Dave Grohl fan, actually. So that's um, how I kind of came about your your music um, and reading the storyteller. But I've heard heard him talk about you guys a, a number of times before. Um, yeah, we actually end all of our shows. You know, we do music news and um, you know on the tail end that we put in later, and always end with like a Dave Grohl story because he's always doing something fucking badass and amazing and marches to the beat of his own drum and um, and is. Uh, I mean, just a great person, really, uh, overall. So, uh, yeah, good um, for him. You know, it couldn't have, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Oh, absolutely. And uh, he's he's actually playing in the. I'm in Napa, California, myself, and uh, he's playing in Sacramento tonight. The Foo Fighters. So, um, but uh, I didn't go to that. 
show. Obviously, I've decided to talk to you guys. So. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, no, no apologies. I chose. You, I chose you may you still be able to make I, it. I know? could probably, I could probably make it, but you know, I don't know. Like, it's it, since COVID happened. I'll just tell you, like, it's just it's harder to get out to shows. Like, I used to go to one a week, and now it's like, uh, it's a thing, right? Uh, and I. Uh, even even have, have you been to indoor shows since I, w I was at one this past weekend uh yeah the, uh, actually the um, musician we had on the show last week uh, um mark uh what was his name uh, mark Broussard. um and yeah. uh yeah and so i saw i saw him i've been to a couple of indoor shows i think two or three this year and um i mean in san francisco it's vaccine required not even not even negative covid tests or anything you have to be vaccinated yeah uh, Chica the... chicago you have to show your card um mm -hmm. i've been to uh three indoor shows like mm -hmm. recently the first one i went to um i'd say masks were like half and half yeah the second one, everyone kept their mask on. It was really, really weird. Yeah, it's weird, but it's also impressive at the same time, right? That it's impressive, are, but but it, yeah, it, it I mean, it really detracts from the experience. It, like, I, I mean, thing. I'm not gonna yeah. I'm not gonna tell you it's the same seeing a band with a mask on and everyone else wearing a mask. And I'm not an anti-masker at all. <laughs> Or anything like that you know i'm down with yeah. like everyone should wear their masks and you know i wear one at work and it's not a problem but um yeah rock and roll show and surgical mask is just you know they don't mix yeah 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 how can you tell if you're singing along exactly. exactly and and i've heard from you know like comedians too it's uh like it's really tough for them because they they need that energy back and forth, right? Uh, I mean, obviously, at a rock show, you, you need the energy, but but for comedians, like you've got to be able to see the reactions. I think of your, <laughs> of yeah, your, sure, of sure. your audience, and, and it's a, uh, um, it's really tough. So, yeah, I, you know, I want to get out to shows, but I haven't been to as many as as I used to, and and uh, and I do prefer outdoor shows, you know, um, obviously for you know, it's just easier. It makes things easier, you know. Yeah. Um, See, I, I like the small sweaty club. And if I, uh, yeah. It's actually a good sound outside. It's a good mix outside, I think. You have to do a hell of a, hell of a PA system, you know? Yeah. Of course, I was yeah. the guy who said he was never going to go to a show again once, you you know, they banned indoor smoking. So, you know. You, you, you're like, never again, huh? Yeah. You Maybe in a couple of years, I, I, I won't want to go to a show without a mask on. Ah, there you go. You'll, you'll be so... Uh, for the mask and uh, and everything that you're like, this is just the norm. This is everything. And, I'll, I'll feel naked without Exactly. Exactly. And people refer to it, you know, compared to the seatbelt, right? You know, there didn't used to be seatbelts and uh, um, and now you can't imagine driving without it, right? So, there you go. And I'll just be panicking when people are looking at my face. Used to be smoking. <laughs> Don't look. <laughs> Don't look. Turn away. Turn away. Turn away. <laughs> There used to be smoking sections on planes too. Smoking sections on planes. Uh huh. Yeah. Basically, yep. crazy. Think what what I liked when there was smoking on planes was like the guy who was one row ahead of the smoking section, but he was a smoker, so he uh -huh. would just like lean into the aisle and sort of hold his cigarette into the smoking <laughs> section. You know. Oh wow! Everybody, everybody just was smoking, right? So, yeah.
Yeah, awesome. Well, Bill, Jeff, thank you for for taking the time. Uh, dig the new album also, and and hopefully get to see you tour at some point and play uh, play a show out here on the West Coast. That would be really awesome. But uh, um, yeah, we'd love to. And uh, you're on the guest list forever. How ooh, about that? I, I like it. I'm, I'm quoting you on that. So I, I will be there. So, <laughs> okay. Right, right. Very cool. You guys have yeah, a great thanks evening. A lot. Okay? Thanks a lot for having us. Thanks. Absolutely. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. Bye. See ya. That was the interview with Jeff and Bill from Naked Ray Gun. Again, they have a new album out right now called uh, Over the Overlords and Concert Pipeline Exclusive. The next one will be in the 2050s, uh, their next album. They're already hard at work in, on it, obviously. So, uh really excited to check that one out when it comes out um okay so that takes us to the final segment on the program the music news okay i have a couple stories about what's going on in the uh, world of music um first up is uh, a story about drake uh, now this is interesting because this is something I've never heard a musician do before. So I'm interested to dig into this a little bit. Um, he withdrew his two 2022 Grammy nominations um, for uh, for best rap album and best rap performance after consultation with his management. Um, uh, he uh, the motivation remains unclear as to why he actually did that, but. He was nominated for Best Rap Album for Certified Lover Boy uh, and Best Rap Performance for his song Way Too Sexy featuring Future and Young Thug after consultation with his management. Um, and so this is uh, the latest chapter in his long contentious relationship with the award show uh, billed as the biggest night in music and its governing institution, uh, the Recording Academy. In 2018, Drake refused to submit his album More Life for consideration out of frustration that his chart-dominating single, Hotline Bling, won for Best Rap Song in 2017, despite not featuring rap. Uh, maybe because I've rapped in the past or because I'm Black, I can't figure out why, he told the Beats One radio show at the time, uh, adding that he believed the award was the result of racial pro profiling. I feel almost like alienated or you're trying to purposely alienate me by making me win rap awards or either just pacify me by handing me something, putting me in that category because it's the only place uh, you can figure out where to put me, he said. The Recording Academy's oversight of black artists and uh, pigeonholing into urban categories has for years drawn complaints and frustration from some of the biggest stars in music, such as the Canadian singer, The Weeknd, uh, who in 2020 tweeted the Grammys remaining or remain corrupt uh, after he received no nominations for his album After Hours or uh, for his chart-topping 2019 single, Blinding Lights. Um, okay, so um, yeah, uh, this is, you know, it, it comes down to him feeling pigeonholed ultimately uh, in terms of how, uh, you know, how he's pulling out and how he decided to just skip, you know, skip the Grammys. It's a really bold move. And, uh, and I gotta really expect respect when, um, when an artist does this sort of thing. And it, it reminds me um, of when Kevin Hart turned down the Academy Awards after they tried to get him to apologize for something he'd done like 20 years before, which had just come out, uh, you know, in, in the, the limelight, something he'd said when he was much, much younger. Uh, and, you know, it's like, 
this is, you know, being able to step away from the biggest opportunity in the world takes a lot of guts and, uh, and, I, and I really respect it. I really respect it, right? Because there's no higher award than the Grammy for music. Um, and um, to realize that it's not everything though, it doesn't define you that your, your fans are what make the music, you know, important, that sort of thing you know, is, uh, is really, really awesome. So hats off to you, Drake. Um, okay. Uh, so next story up is um, about the Rolling Stones. They played a secret London jazz club uh, gig in celebration of Charlie Watts. Keith Richards, Mick Jagger, and Ronnie Wood played rhythm and blues classics in celebration of their late drummer. Um, really intimate show that they played. Um, and they brought in uh, former bassist Bill Wyman uh, who they were all in attendance at Ronnie Scott's in Soho, along with a number of Watts family and friends. Um, uh, Jules Holland uh, compered the evening and led a house band featuring Dave Green, uh, who is Watts' childhood friend and a frequent collaborator in his jam, jazz band, Ben Waters and Axel Zwingerberger. Uh, members of the Rolling Stones touring band also performed. Um, so a big group um, came out to celebrate. Uh, the evening ended with an impromptu jam session by Watts bandmates uh, Jagger, Wood, and Richards performing the Rhythm and Blues standard, Shame, 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 and Down the Road a Piece. Um, uh, longtime Stones drummer Watts died at the age of 80 in August, prompting a huge outpouring of tributes from the music world and beyond. Uh, and uh, so, the, I, I mean, it's just really affected everything. And this band has been around forever, right? Um, you know, paid paid great tribute uh, for him. So Steve Jordan, who initially stepped in so that Watts could recover from surgery is now the Rolling Stones permanent touring drummer. Um, yeah, pretty cool. All right, so uh, next story is about a you know, big, big rock uh, show that, uh, that happened, um, was actually pretty intimate as well, I believe. Uh, there were members of Tool, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Foo Fighters, Queens of the Stone Age and more. They teamed up for an all-star jam. Uh, the, the folks that uh, were part of this were Taylor Hawkins, the Foo Fighters drummer, uh, Queens of the Stone Age, Josh Hom, and Troy Van Luen, Tools, Danny Carey, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Chad Smith, uh, Jane's Addictions, Chris Cheney, and uh, producer Andrew Watt. They all appeared on stage together. They rotated frontman duties and played with two drummers, uh, Chad Smith and Taylor Hawkins, obviously. Uh, the group performed covers of classic rock, rock hits like Rod Stewart's Hot Legs, um, Werewolves of London, as well as material from their respective bands. Um, uh, all of the musicians took the stage together for a joint cover of the clashes, Should I Stay or Should I Go? Um, and uh, and they, they had a good time. So really, really cool. So speaking of the Foo Fighters, as we've done many times throughout this program, and by the way, um, uh, I'll just point out the Foo Fighters are playing just over an hour for me in Sacramento. Uh, they go on stage in 20 minutes from when this is being taped. So I'm kind of bummed I'm not at that show, but really stoked about um, what uh, that I got to see them earlier this year at Bottle Rock here in Napa. Um, so um, that's, that takes us to our uh, final story, which is about Dave Grohl and also has to do with uh, Dave Grohl's Bottle Rock uh, performance in a, in a sense, 
uh, Dave Grohl and Greg Kirsten cover Kiss on the final night of Hanukkah. So last year, uh, Dave Grohl and Greg Kirsten put out a series of videos on YouTube uh, that uh, they called the Hanukkah Sessions. One song for every night, paying tribute to a Jewish artist uh, who, uh, uh, mostly in the, the rock uh, category, um, and they covered uh, a, a song every, every night, just put it up on YouTube. Um, in May, they played their first ever live performance of all of these songs, all eight of them from last year um, at Bottle Rock in Napa. And I was there at the, at the front to record it. And you can check it out on Concert Pipeline's YouTube page at Concert Pipeline, uh, youtube.com slash Concert Pipeline, you know, whatever. Um, and um, and so this year, Dave Grohl and Greg Kirsten put out eight more songs, uh, more produced this time uh, for, uh, for eight artists um, that are Jewish to celebrate Hanukkah. So seems like something they might be doing every year. And subsequently, my videos received uh, uh, a lot of hits and we, were, we got a lot of new subscribers um, on our YouTube page um, because of it. Uh, we actually hit um, exactly 1,000 subscribers uh, today, which was which was pretty cool. Um, and our 1,000 subscriber is Eduardo Breitz. Uh, so uh, thank you, Eduardo, uh, for being our 1,000th subscriber. Um, uh, and thank you to all the other uh, couple hundred subscribers that we received over the um, the past week of, of Hanukkah and just beyond uh, who are... Uh, uh, checking out the Hanukkah session videos. Um, really appreciate you tuning in and hope you continue to enjoy the, the program. Um, so last night of Hanukkah, they concluded the Hanukkah sessions by covering Kiss's rock and roll all night. Um, and uh, he said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we made it night eight. And what better way to celebrate another year of Hanukkah sessions uh, than uh, Chamwitz and Stanley Eisen, two young lads from Queens that set the world and thousands of stages uh, on fire as Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley of KISS. Uh, Greg and I would like to thank all the people that helped ramp up the Hanukkah sessions this year. It's gonna to be tough to beat, but we will. Oh, we will. Uh, we hope that this year's batch has brought a, a little joy to you as it surely did to us. Now let's rock all and roll all night and party uh, every day until next Hanukkah. Uh, L'shem. Uh, so, they took on the Clash's Train in Vain. They covered Billy Joel's Big Shot. Uh, uh, they started out the first night by Lisa Loeb's uh, Stay, uh, Stay, I Miss You, which was an epic video, by the way. Dave Grohl dresses Lisa Loeb, and then it gets metal and back to Lisa Loeb, and what an incredible performance. Um, uh, Blitz uh, Craig Bop by the Ramones. Uh, Copacabana by uh, Barry Manilow, Jump by Van Halen, uh, and the duo Enlisted Girl's Daughter, Violet, for their uh, version of Amy Winehouse's Take the Box. Uh, so, of course, Dave Grohl has had quite the busy year, um, uh, releasing documentaries, going on tour, publishing his first memoir, uh, and uh, Foo Fighters released their 10th studio album, Medicine at Midnight, and a Bee Gees cover album. Um, and earlier next year, the band will release a horror comedy around the events leading up to Medicine at Midnight. Uh, yeah, so I'll, a lot to look forward to with the Foo Fighters and a lot to be proud of for them as well. So that is our show for today. Thank you for tuning in. 
Um, let me give you a little taste of who we got coming up in the coming weeks as we wind out 2021 uh, here on Concert Pipeline. We have Lizzie and the Makers uh, coming up. Um, also, Steve Martz Torm, uh, who is uh, the son of, um, oh geez, I'm, I'm blanking on his name for a second. Um, he's the, the son of uh, Mel Torm, excuse me, uh, who co-wrote the Christmas song, um, AKA uh, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire uh, for Nat Cake Cole 76 years ago. Uh, he's the son and he has a new single, a uh, Christmas single out. He's gonna play it for the program, I believe. Um, Josh Radin is gonna be on the program probably at the, toward the beginning of next year. Uh, lots of great stuff coming up. Uh, and so continue to tune in. Um, and so for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, I'm Steve Jones. We'll catch you next time.